I was just at the Claremont County Fair a little bit over the week ago. Does anyone like the fair? Anyone? All right, all right, a couple people. Thanks to the fair, now I know that fried cooking dough tastes amazing. But make sure after you eat it, you don't do anything that requires you to move fast. In fact, if, I think if everybody ate cookie dough, there probably would not be any more world wars or anything like that. But that wasn't the reason I was at the fair. Um, we always go every year for the, well, we try to go every year for the demolition derby. And one of the heats had, I'm not sure, like 15 to 30 cars. And the announcer said it was the most cars that they had ever had. It was almost like a traffic jam. It was just so packed. There were cars flying into each other. And even at one point, one car flew up on the other car and got stuck for like five minutes. As I was watching this, I thought, this is how a lot of people see the church, especially the world. We were designed to drive in harmony, but instead we crash into each other. Christians are arguing with each other over theology and how money is spent, which method to serve people. We have all these denominations going in all kinds of directions. Why would the world want to merge with the demolition derby? Is this how the church is supposed to be? Before we get started, let's pray. Father in heaven, please teach us to be your church. Please help us walk in your light so we don't stumble. And please bring unity to your people all over the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm not sure how to bring unity to all Christians everywhere, but we can start with our own lives. So here at Heartland, I'm glad to say we don't agree on everything, but I would say we aren't a demolition derby. But I know we can improve. I believe I can improve in my life, and I believe I'm not alone on this. So today I want to talk about Christian unity. Let's start with our main verse in Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. And when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, in one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There should be a lot of similarities between us that is different than the world. The body we are connected to should be the same, although we are different parts of the same body, and I will get to that later. The spirit that gives us power should be the same, not the same powers, but the same source with the same goal. The hope that we have should be the same, the same Lord, so we should be obeying the same king. One faith, so we should be trusting and believing the same Jesus. We, should, we all should be baptized into the same kingdom in the same way, leaving our fleshly desires behind, as Paul says. We have one Father over it all. The early church is a good picture of how unity looks in action. In Acts, we can see early in church history how the church was united. 
We can find this in Acts 4.32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. Can you imagine having the same heart and mind as each other? Can you imagine if all of us woke up and serving God was the most important thing every single day? Let's look at what they did that brought them unity. How to be of the same heart and mind. Number one, we make a commitment. Acts 2.41 reads, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you hear the message, and you decide you're going to leave that old lifestyle in the water and get baptized. And having one foot in and one foot out makes it so you can't walk in unity. You have to really believe Jesus is that special king from the Old Testament and has authority. You have to really believe he has, was sent to give us instructions to follow, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. You really have to believe he died for our sins to bring atonement for a group of people he would call children of God. And that he rose again and is living on his throne today in heaven. How to be of the same heart and mind. Number two, devote yourself to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. We find this in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This wasn't just some hobby. This is what their lives were about. They learned and talked about this daily. Learning who God the Father is and who Jesus is takes a lifetime. And I'm still learning, and I will always be learning. Do you think your life would change if this was the focus of your life daily? We are to meditate on the Word of God. If you listen to a sermon, that's secondary to the Word of God. It's not even a close second. We are supposed to talk about it in fellowship with each other on what we have learned and encourage each other on what it says. We are to encourage each other with uplifting and positive passages, but also we are to encourage each other with the warning passages. How to be of the same heart and mind. Number three, breaking the bread. This is found in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. So it says breaking of the bread, which I believe that they're talking about communion. The reason I say this is because it's breaking the bread and not just eating bread. And when we break the bread, we are remembering that Christ's body is broken for us. But either way, we should remember what Jesus did for us daily to give us a perspective every day what Jesus went through to make us who we are. Paul tells us in the light, in that light, it is reasonable for us to lay our lives down. And when we lay our life down, we can hold on to what Jesus gives us. How to be on the same heart and mind. Number four, pray with each other. This is also found in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to prayer. Over the years, I have learned a lot of people will say, no thanks, I will pray on my own. 
You could do that, but also we should pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this in Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by them, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather, or more, could be four or five, seven, doesn't have to be an odd or even number, in my name, there I am with them. Jesus said, there is a special closeness when we pray in agreement and in unity. Jesus says he is in the midst. He's not just there eavesdropping, he cares. The fact that Jesus says this seems to mean your prayers may not be as effective if you pray them solo. A friend of mine, him and his wife were unable to have a child. And then their small group fasted and prayed with them. She got pregnant. We should be praying together for unity with our Father in heaven and unity with each other. How to be of the same heart and mind. Number five, love each other. This is found in Acts 2.44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. When you love people, you will make sure they have what they need. The believers got rid of their property and made sure no one was in need. You know, the leading cause of divorce in America is money. How many marriages could be saved if there was no desire for material things? How much more could God's children love God and each other if we decrease our love for things? John says, if we don't give to those in need, how can the love of God be in that person? When we love those in need, we make it so they can spend their time focusing on God and loving people instead of stressing out on how they're going to get what they need. How to be of the same heart and mind. Number six, they praise God together. This is found in Acts 2.46 and 47. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the slavery in Egypt, so they would worship him. He also brought his children out of slavery of sin to worship him. God has always desired for a group of people to worship him. When we worship him alone, that doesn't make up for when we are supposed to worship him together. God deserves to be worshipped and praised. Jesus was shamed and tortured in public. He died and gave us his spirit so that we can be like him, a son of God. He should be exalted for everyone to hear and see because God the Father is worthy of our praise and so is his son who died for us. So Acts gives us a picture of what unity looks like. Now we need to know who to have unity with. 
And so in the Bible, it kind of describes it more like who we should separate from. So who we should separate from, number one, deceivers. And this is found in 2 John 1, 9 through 11. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. In this case, they are talking about people who believe some of what Jesus talked about, but didn't accept all his teachings. Back then, the Romans believed that fleshly, fleshly beings are sinful. And they had a really hard time understanding a God who sends a sinless man in the flesh. They also couldn't believe the Son of God had flesh. Some of them refused to believe Jesus actually had flesh. They believed he was like a hologram. They, even though this isn't popular today, people still try to adjust to fit what they feel or what makes sense to them. John warns us about this. He warns us about adjusting the teachings of Christ to fit our human minds. He also warns us about listening to people who teach things that are different from what Jesus and his disciples taught. We are to encourage people who stray to come back. After we have patiently tried to bring them back, if they don't come back, we are to separate from them. Who to separate from? Number two, sinners who claim to be Christians. This is found in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such a person. So Paul is talking about people who claim to be brothers and sisters, not everyone else. He says you would have to leave the world if you didn't associate with sinners. That means you can still work and do other essential things with non-believers. Now, there is this rumor that was started that we are all sinners and that even the church are all sinners. Let me ask you this. I have put a spare tire on my car before. Does that make me a mechanic? I have lied in my life. Does that make me a liar? If you have sinned in your life, that doesn't make you a sinner unless you continue in that sin. There is a difference between someone who believes and has messed up and a sinner. The Bible defines that as a sinner. We are to go and hang out with sinners. We are to call them to repent. I know there are a lot of people who say Jesus hung out with sinners. So let's look at what Jesus did with sinners. 
This can be found in Matthew 9, 10 through 12. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Let's look at that last line. Jesus describes himself as a doctor. Let's say I have a doctor's appointment on Friday. If someone asks, what are you doing Friday? I wouldn't say hanging out with a friend. I would say I'm going to the doctor. You can see there is a difference with hanging out with sinners and discipling sinners who want to be made well. If a sinner doesn't want a doctor and claims to be a child of God, do not hang out with them. But that doesn't mean you don't love them and forget about them. This is what James says about this subject, found in James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner, see how he uses the word sinner here, not, from the error of their way, we will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The key word is brother and sisters, like Paul is talking about. If you can't get them to come back, you need to separate from them, and that's what Paul says. This can ruin your unity with each other in Christ, because sinners are not walking in the Spirit. If they aren't walking in the Spirit, and you walk in unity with them, are you walking in the Spirit? Who to separate from? Number three, unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15 reads, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Remember, we discussed a couple